This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I think there should be a conversation about why did Nikki Haley decide to announce now? What's the thought that goes into that? What's the cost of doing that? When you see something really odd being done, it's because you don't understand what the objective is that the campaign's trying to accomplish. This is startup on steroids. It's a lot of cash really quickly. The chaotic nature of these things, it's really hard to describe unless you've been there. This is campaign school. I mean, you can think about this as campaign school. If you're training to be an operative and want to get on the ground, this is this is the way people are looking and thinking at it. I want people to understand what we're going to do is pretend that we're in the, you know, the pilot's chairs over at whatever campaign it is we're talking about and what decision would we make if we were there? And why? Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow, and this is not the weekly roundup. (laughs) This week, we're going to do something a little bit different. As the Republican presidential primary is ramping up, uh, we're going to dissect the strategy and the position, the tactics, the moves of the campaign teams. And to do that, I'm joined by two of my very good friends, Mike Madrid and Frank Sadler. And together, the three of us have more than 60 years of experience. We actually added that up in high-stakes Republican politics. And we're going to take you under the hood uh, to show you the inner workings of Republican primary campaigns and the landscape of presidential primaries. So we're going to break down how the candidates, how the key party players, the RNC, major committees like the Club for Growth or interest groups like the Chamber of Commerce and the NRA shape the race. And we're going to analyze the campaigns like we do when we're not on a microphone. We'll dive into the dark arts of political strategy, the tactics that will work and why they're effective uh, without making moral judgments about whether we think they're good or bad. So even if you're not a Republican primary voter, this primary election cycle is going to matter. We've seen since 2015 uh, that the fight over the direction of the Republican Party spills over into just about everything else, uh, at least in our political lives. So buckle up, because this race is going to be a big one, a doozy, but we're excited to be on it with you. As I mentioned, I'm joined by two of my very good friends, the one and only Mike Madrid. Mike is a senior advisor at the California Latino Economic Institute, my fellow co-founder of the Lincoln Project, and he also lectures on race, class, and partisanship at USC as always. Mike, great to see you. Great to see you. Great to meet uh, new guests. And this is going to be a really cool, cool project. I'm really looking forward to this one this cycle. This is going to be fun. We're also here with Frank Sadler. And Frank has been on before. Frank is the chief of staff at Carly Fiorina Enterprises. He also served as the campaign manager for Carly's 2016 presidential campaign and was an advisor to former U.S. Senator George Allen of Virginia. Frank, welcome back to Politicology. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to see you guys. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So we'll dive in in a second. But first, I want to take a little bit of time setting the table. Uh, so before we can, you know, we've got the Nikki Haley announcement we're going to talk about in a minute. But before we do that, I want to spend a few minutes just talking about what we're doing here in this episode, because uh, I don't think there's anything quite like it in at least the podcast world that I'm aware of, certainly not on cable news or mainstream media. And so the thing that interests me about doing this kind of a conversation, especially with both of you, is we're um, really learning from both of you and thinking about why campaigns make the decisions they make and explain to people that the decisions that get made on a primary campaign are never as clean as they look like from the outside as they are on the inside. They're often messy and chaotic and there's plenty of disagreement. And looking at this, Frank, the way you put it to me when you approached me with this idea was the way sportscasters will call a football game and analyze plays uh, on, on a football game. So you want to say a little bit more about where that idea came from and and 
you know, what you're hoping to get out of this and also why listeners should be interested in this. Yeah. So if you listen to daily sports radio or if you watch ESPN, it's a macro conversation about either the leagues or the games. Maybe once in a while, they'll tell you uh, something about one play that happened, but it's pretty 30,000 foot level. If you dive into the podcast world, what you can find, and I find more of this every day, are experts in sports dissecting what's really going on at a team level, uh, in a game level, or across a league, but at a level much beyond how sports radio or ESPN talks about, mainly because obviously they have a little more time. As an example, I'll give is sports guys at this level like to talk about why the front office makes a move. And it's not simply the move itself. It is a discussion about why they thought the move made sense or why it didn't. What were the considerations that the front office had to make to do that? And if you watch ESPN, that's not what they do, right? They just tell you there was a trade. They don't tell you all the background because they don't have time to do that. But there's a lot of sports podcasts now that really dive into these type of decisions. And I find that when I reflect on the 2015, 2016 presidential campaign, there was all these moving pieces happening. And it's fascinating for me to think back about that. And now, as we get into this primary season, I'd like to have people talk about what's really going on and not simply what we think is going to happen, right? So there's going to be tons of conversation of who's going to win in Iowa or who's going to get second. And there's going to be a lot of great conversation about that. But I think there should be a conversation about why did Nikki Haley decide to announce now? What's the thought that goes into that? What's the cost of doing that? Why does, you know, Canada A set up a super PAC? What is it that they're doing in that super PAC? What are they doing with their hard dollar campaign? Right. And there's all these things that go on that I think back of when um, I was part of that team um, in 2015, 2016. And I think those are interesting conversations that um, I'd like to hear. Yeah, me too. Mike, how about you? Well, I, I think back to when we were in the 2020, you know, presidential reelect here with Donald Trump and we were doing the Lincoln Project work and this podcast kind of began in earnest. And one of the things that I thought was really unique was I, I think for the first time in American history, you had, a, you know, the very significant political action committee that was raising and spending tens of millions of dollars being completely transparent and open about what not just the strategy was, but the tactics of what we were trying to do. We were having very detailed conversations saying, we're going to spend a few million dollars in Maricopa County, Arizona, and Gwinnett and DeKalb County in uh, you know the, the, the collared counties around Atlanta, Georgia, and then we're going to go into you know Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and here's what we're looking for, and here's what we're spending, and here's why. Here's what the public polling is telling us. Here's what our internals are showing us. Here's what our analytics say. And we were literally telling the world what our roadmap was, like like fully. And it was the first time I kind of had to sit down with my data team and say, look, this is going to feel a little bit awkward because most campaigns are very secretive about this. That's not what we're going to do here. What we're going to do is we're going to tell the world exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it to engage our supporters in a bigger way and engage the media differently. Uh, and I mean the cable news folks and then the kind of, you know, the quote unquote experts, right? The, the, the Wassermans of the world who, who, you know, I, you know, I was going back and forth and disagreeing with Dave Wasserman saying, <laughs> well, I'm seeing the numbers differently than you are. And, and I think I was right, yeah. right? The way we were doing it turned out right. And that's, that's okay. That's, but, but there is a difference between being an operative who sits in the chair and has to make those decisions and everybody else in the Washington, D.C. Beltway world uh, with the pundits on cable who, who aren't making the decisions, pontificating as to why, uh, the, 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 the tactics and the strategies you are employing when you're on the campaign are not part – they're not the same as what you're hearing from all the real, quote, unquote, smart people in Washington, D.C., and that's what I want to do here is I want to sit down and kind of like dissect that, revisit that strategy a little bit that we were doing when we were on the campaign and saying, why is the campaign doing this when it seems to not make sense? These are, for the most part, they're very, very intelligent, rational actors in a very chaotic, peculiar, and unique environment, which are campaigns trying to affect a certain outcome. And usually when you see something really odd being done, 
it's because you don't understand what the objective is that the campaign is trying to accomplish. And that's just because they're seeing the race differently than everybody else is, as, as one would expect. Now, there, there's clearly times when there's just desperate measures called for desperate means. And, and I, I've got some you know, strong criticisms of what, what Haley's doing, uh, which we'll get into in just a second, and, and why, and the timing especially, as Frank just pointed out. But that's that's again. I think what's what's really I think going to be unique about these conversations is trying to is to try to explain from an operative perspective why these decisions are being made. The other thing, Mike, yeah. that you alluded to that I I couldn't agree more to is I think there's a perception out there that these are like well honed multi million dollar <laughs> efforts, right? right? Like it's a lot of money, um, and I think there's this perception that it's like this corporate right. Uh, enterprise and it's just not i mean this is uh, this is there's the, an office with a turnstile that people walk through every yeah. day <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is this is startup on steroids um it's a lot of cash really quickly it's new people coming and going the chaotic nature of these things um it's really hard to describe unless you've been there um and i do think the media often makes it seem as if like oh, no, it's this like really controlled thing that happens in this group of people who get to look at all this data and make decisions kind of like they, the way we think Coca-Cola makes decisions about placing another $10 million ad buy in the Atlanta media market to sell more Coke, right? Yes, they have years of experience doing that. They understand their product. They, we want to get a lot of that data. And Mike, you guys did a great job on the, on, um, the Lincoln Project showing us that. But as you can admit that, like, that's a lot different than the <laughs> advertising dollars that get spent in uh, the Fortune 500, where yeah. that data has been collected and analyzed for years. Put through committee after committee. That's right. And, <laughs> the you know, we can focus group in politics, but, like, we can kind of focus group in a snapshot of time. Like, these guys, you know, if you're running a Fortune 500, you, like, you can focus group every day for 10 years if you wanted, right? And that's just not what this is. And the primary, I think, is a really, you know, a Senate race is a little different. There's something about this primary that is really unique um, that's hard to describe unless you're there. Yeah. Yeah. And so so the three of us, as we're talking about these campaigns, I want people to understand what we're going to do is pretend that we're in the, you know, the pilot's chairs over at whatever campaign it is we're talking about. And what decision would we make if we were there? And why, right? Given the given the the unique incentives of each campaign and what they're trying to accomplish, whatever we think their goals w are. With the caveat, right. though. With yeah. the caveat that we don't have the information they have. Right. right? So Mike used a, a very important yeah. term here, right? Which Rational is, actors. Yeah, and yeah. internal data, right? So each campaign is going to have, they can decide what their metrics are that they're going to look at, but they get those and they make decisions not simply based on public information. A lot of it is private. So- I want to be clear that even if we may disagree, I, I'll speak for myself. If I disagree with what a candidate's doing, I'm willing to accept that I may not actually know either what their end strategy is, or they may have a piece of data that I don't know. And so we're going to do the best we can to describe how those decisions get made and what info they may be looking at. I'm going to try not to um, judge too harshly one way or the other, because I don't really know. That's, you know, maybe that's just my personal bias of how I felt in 2015 when everyone was telling me how to do things. It's like, well, you don't, <laughs> sorry, you don't. You don't know my constraints. Yeah, you didn't, yeah. yeah, you didn't see what just happened when I sat in that private focus group. Like, you you don't know what I know. Um, and so I, I, I want to be clear about that. And then second to, my, to Ron's point earlier, like, I may disagree with a lot of the public policy things that come out of these campaigns. That's not, I don't think that's the purpose of this at all, right? So I may disagree about policy A or policy B. I, I'm going to, I don't really think that's the purpose of this podcast at all. Yeah, I think that's totally right. Uh, let me ask you both one other question, uh, which is like, this is interesting to me as a former Republican, right? Watching the party go through a formal process for the first time since we nominated, they nominated Donald Trump to be the leader of the party, this is the first formal process that has played out to decide who's the next leader of the Republican Party, right? Uh, since 2015. I mean, we didn't really have a primary in, 20, in 2020. 
didn't. So this is the first time Republican Party is going to have to choose. And there's an entire elaborate process for that choosing. And I'm interested in it to see how the game is played by everybody in, uh, in that race. But let me ask you this. Why should or would a Democrat be interested in this and in, in how we're going to talk about this? Mike, you want to take? <laughs> yeah, let me. I'll, I'll jump into that. And again, is I've had this peculiar role of running. You know, I've run Democrats' campaign for governor in California before, right? Like I'm one of those weird people who's done some pretty significant, high level campaigns on both sides of the aisle. The, the strategic considerations from both parties, especially when you're uh, challenging an incumbent, um, are, are are really the same. And that is the question is whether the party base is the 30,000 foot level. The question you have to ask your own base is, are you more interested in winning or driving an ideological agenda? And that's a big part of, I think, what we're going to talk about from the Republican Party, um, because the Democratic Party has basically made that decision. They made that decision in the 2020 primary, which is Joe Biden really did not match up with the average Democratic voter on most key issues anymore. He's from a bygone era but where he was strongly in command of the field was by every estimation, Democratic voters viewed him as the most likely to beat Donald Trump. And Democrats so hated Trump, they were like, we'll put up with all the weaknesses that we see with Joe Biden because we think he can win. Regardless of how you look at the field and, and, and the data and the tactics and the strategy, that's really what's going to come down to whether or not the, the Republicans are able to field the candidate or not, is are they going to try to find the best candidate to simply win, or are they so consumed by their ideological rancor and their cultural uh, warrior affinities that they can't see past that and keep doubling down? And both parties have gone through these machinations before, right? This is, in many ways, the Republican Party of today is like the Democratic Party of the late 1960s, early 1970s. And, and they can't get out of their own way. And that ultimately led to the rise of the, the Democratic leadership you know, council in the late 80s and 90s, where the, Republican, where the Democratic Party bounced back. But it took a generation to get there. And so I'm not too sure if that answers the question or not. But regardless of whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, the, 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 the decision-making process yeah. of partisans on both sides are remarkably similar. Yeah, yeah and I would yeah. add – Yes, you don't need to have an ideological bend to listen to this, right? It's a right. little, let me use the sports analogy again. Like, like, I don't care about the Lakers, but I, <laughs> I, but I do care about the Washington Wizards. So it's, it's interesting me, for me to hear how folks think about why the Lakers are making decisions because I care about the sport and I'm interested in getting in the weeds. So even though I don't like the Lakers, I want to know what they're going to do with yeah. their draft picks and I want to know what the thought process goes into that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think it was like grad school. Yeah, this is like grad school. Like we got this is campaign school. Junkie, I mean, you can think about this as yeah. campaign school, really. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, this if you're training to be an operative yeah. and want to get on the ground, this is this is the way people are looking at thinking at. Yeah, it. regardless of the side that you're on, you want to see what your opposition is doing, how they're thinking, where their base right. is at. Right, that's what makes you a very very good yeah. operative. What are the physics of all of these decisions getting made? Yeah, because they're probably not what you think they are. So. Politicology, uh, we will be back next week with the weekly roundup. It's not going away. We'll be back next week. Today, though, we're going to try this, uh, this pilot out, and we want to know what you think. So we have a quick two-second survey. Uh, <laughs> it's not really two seconds. It's probably like eight seconds if you really time it. There's two questions. We, we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, if you can go smash that link, tell us uh, what you think about this, um, answer those two questions. It would really help us. Um, decide where to go next with this. So um, with that, let's uh, dive in here. So we'll talk about Nikki Haley in a minute. Um, but before we do, um, let's let's just take a little bit of a broader view here of the Republican primary, because uh, I think I have said to you or both of you at some point or another, as soon as it becomes a two-person race, it's a 10-person race, right? Donald Trump was until last week, the week before, the only announced candidate in the Republican field. Um, we know Ron DeSantis is probably running, but hasn't announced yet for reasons that we can talk about. Um, and then we got Nikki Haley's announcement uh, just recently. So why don't we spend a couple of minutes talking about the different kinds of goals someone might have when they decide to launch a presidential campaign? Um, 
because there can be a number of different things you're trying to achieve. So when we talk about timing and uh, and the goals of a presidential campaign launch, especially this early in the cycle, and uh, I set that to the table. Well, I mean, look, there's a there's there's usually one of a of a small handful of reasons that you're either that you're trying to run. Uh, some are actually trying to win. <laughs> uh, I think I think it's a remarkably small uh, that that number is smaller than most people think that it is, um, and maybe that's surprising to some, maybe it's not to others. When you look at a large field, for example, the 2016 Republican field, where we had 16, 18 candidates, whatever it was. You know, a good third, half of those, probably more, were not actually trying to win. They were trying to leverage their position in the party hierarchy for either the immediate, you know, running for vice president is kind of the way we've talked about it. I, I think that's kind of a of an outdated notion, and we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, but they're simply trying to run to enhance their position in the party, a cabinet position, uh, some sort of ideological position. Now it's about you know having a contract on Fox News, which is frankly just as important, perhaps more important than being a member of Congress or a member of the Senate, is just being able to have that type of a microphone or megaphone, if you will. Um, and but then again, there are there are a small handful of people who are actually trying to win, um, and and we should, we'll talk about those because those those determine your strategy, and your tactics and your tone. And that's really, I think, going to be a big part of the consideration of of the 2024 Republican presidential primary as it sits. I think there's probably only three or four candidates who genuinely think that they can win. They're all going to say they think they can win. The rest are running for a whole host of other different reasons. And we'll, I think, examine some of those as we as we continue the conversation. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about goals as we launched the uh, Fiorina campaign in 2015? Right? Yeah, well, let me let me add, yeah. instead of going down yeah, that yeah. <laughs> yet, some <laughs> considerations of, of, so you've made the decision you're going to run. So you've gotten past the mic piece and you're, you've decided to run. So what are you thinking through about when? So there's a couple big things that go into this, right? One is this debate schedule, right? So not only do you want to be in the race because you can't be on the debate stage unless you're in the race, but then there's going to be certain rules, we think, some metrics that are going to get tied to your ability to be on that debate stage. It may be polling. It may be polling plus donors. It may be polling plus donors plus some other metrics. I, I'm not I, – I correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't seen any of that laid out just yet, but I think that's going to happen. So one of the things is – you, you can't meet any of those if you're not in the race. And so you have to make some determination of how much before that debate, that first debate, do I need to be in the race to build the things necessary to be on that debate stage? Right, wrong, or indifferent, there's a big belief that if you're on the debate stage, then it, it doesn't matter. I, I personally tend to believe that, that the debate stage is a really critical piece in this puzzle. Now, what we've learned is that not every cycle is the same. And so just yeah. using what happened in 15 and 16 is the way to project what's going to happen in 23 and 24, I, I think we should be a little skeptical about. But I think there's a common belief that that matters. I think money's the other big piece of this, right? You you cannot raise hard dollars unless you're in the race. We should say what hard dollars are, by the way, for everybody following along. Hard dollars, when we say that, we mean uh, raising money into a campaign committee that is restricted in the amount of money it can receive by any individual donor and is also restricted in the amount of money that it can spend on any given thing, right? So it's restricted on the, in, on the, on the, the inbound. Yep. It's not restricted you're not, on the, you're, Okay, you're not, you're right. You, yeah, you, you can spend you, as you much. Can spend, you can spend whatever yes. you bring in. It's but, just like the inbound money is right. throttled at a maximum per person. Yes. The, so the big thing to keep in mind when you hear hard dollars, right, is the campaign that yeah. the candidate is part of can yeah. decide how those dollars are spent. So the campaign manager and their senior leadership team and their consultants can sit with the candidate and make very uh, clear decisions about how to spend every dollar if they right. wanted to. Explicitly. Right. Explicitly. So right. they can say, we're going to go spend $10 million on a TV buy in Iowa that is our candidate's face there. And we can cut that ad and we can run it when we want to put the it. candidate in it. We yep. can tell them what to what say. To say. Yeah. Exactly right. Right. Versus when we say soft money, we're talking about super PAC money in general. There may be other vehicles like a 501c4, but in general, we're talking about a 527 super PAC is what you know them by, which can raise and spend unlimited amounts of money from pretty much anybody. But 
the candidate cannot direct or be involved in decision-making process no one, at all. No, right? n- nor the candidate, nor anyone on, that's officially on that staff or communicating with that staff, right? So there's supposed to be a fairly, you know, direct uh, Chinese uh, wall between those two entities. And there are a couple of very, very specific exceptions to that. She, the, the, she or he, the candidate, is able to raise money into the super PAC in very very specific ways. There's some been some guidance from the FEC on that, but uh, but in general, there's no coordination is the term of art. That's right. And I think what we'll in this podcast and yeah. future is to discuss like what are the role that those yeah. super PACs yeah. have, and that's yeah, to totally. Mike's point about strategy. Like that's a big part of strategy is who's raising money and who's spending money and why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about money for a minute because as I'm thinking about timing and and like the the <laughs> as. Uh, as the guy who is sitting at the table and thinking, how are we going to fuel this thing with grassroots fundraising? And by the way, I've made this point on politicology many times now, so I think people will be familiar with this. I think that uh, the you know the 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 eight hundred pound gorilla in the fundraising room now is grassroots fundraising, and just like the the scales tipped a couple of years ago, and like you cannot raise from high dollar donors either into a super PAC or into a hard dollar committee. The kind of money that you can now raise in an email inbox and with uh, and with um, fundraising advertising, it just it doesn't hold a candle to what you can do now on online. So digital fundraisers are now um, highly sought after and um, and brought in very very early to a campaign process. Whereas in the in the olden days, they had to you know fight for every scrap of budget at the, <laughs> that they could get right. But they're now in a way. The uh, they become the hub, especially at the very beginning of a campaign, because they're the ones who've got to take whatever the announcement looks like, whatever kind of buzz you're going to get from an announcement, and turn that into dollars in the bank account as quickly as possible. So, um, so yeah, so the thing that I would be looking for at the very beginning is what is the thing that I can feed to a base of donors as quickly as possible to to put money in the bank so that we can get through next week or the following week or the following month. Um, uh, so money is a huge piece of this, but it doesn't always look like somebody writing a giant check to a super PAC or um, having a big fundraising event where you raise $100,000 and your cost of fundraising is $40,000, right? Just doesn't work that way anymore. So that's... I've, and I think each candidate has to make, each team has to make a decision based on their candidate of how to start that process, right? So a candidate who is holding elected office already can be spending their time raising hard dollars, building that support without actually getting in to the race. Other folks like Nikki Haley, who do not hold federal office, cannot raise hard dollars without being in the race, right? That is, they have, once they, I think it's 5,000, it was back in the day, it's once you trip over $5,000, you have to file with the FEC. So there's some consideration that goes into this that if you're, if you are a sitting United States Senator and you want to run for president, you may be able to extend the period before you announce because you can still be using your digital fundraiser to raise hard dollars to continue to build the support, even if you're not going to use every one of those dollars for the presidential campaign, though you you could migrate that money over and do it. But those are part of the decisions that you have to make. At some point, we'll also talk about list rentals, data sharing, data swapping, and basically how do you how do you talk to the people you want to give you money on the internet in the first place? And that's a We'll save that conversation for later. But um, okay, why don't we play this announcement video from Haley, and then we'll talk about the Haley launch and um, and you know whether it's good timing, bad timing, etc. The railroad tracks divided the town by race. I was the proud daughter of Indian immigrants, not black, not white. I was different. They all think we can be bullied kicked around. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. There, there were some phrases that stood out, I think, that they are, that I think signal the way they might try to position yes. Nikki. That's and a we good should talk about Absolutely. those. That's, yeah. So, so, Mike, what stood out to you? Before we, we'll get into the the Don Lemon thing after this. Yeah. More than the message, more than the message, because I think I think I think her time has passed on the message, and we'll get into why. I think the timing was everything. 
I, th- I think for the, the timing, her going first was probably what gave her the most the most significant and serious advantage here. If I understand the objectives from what their campaign is doing, so let me let me let me begin by saying this: I don't think the Nikki Haley candidacy is credible as a presidential campaign or as a vice presidential gambit at all. I think if they're trying to run for vice president. I think this is probably a relic of the 1980s and 1990s on the way to do it. I'm not saying that that's not what they're doing. I'm saying it ain't going to work, okay? I think that this is probably Nikki Haley going, I made a series of bad political decisions in 2016, was resurrected by becoming the UN ambassador, and I'm going to try to become a UN ambassador again, so maybe sometime in the future I can ultimately resurrect my political career again after we find out what the post-Trump era looks like. Because Nikki Haley has no credibility with the Never Trump campaign or the Trump people. There is literally no lane for Nikki Haley. And so the question becomes, what is she trying to do? And I, I think, if, if I'm getting to, to what Frank is trying to get out of this, that's what I'm trying to do is discern why was the decision made as much as the message. Because she has no message. Has no, she has no message that is resonant with any constituency, not only in the Republican Party, but I would argue outside of it. And so what she's trying to do, what I would be trying to do to position her, and I wouldn't do it this way, by the way, but what they're trying to do is give her as much of a megaphone as she can, given the fact that she really doesn't have much of a megaphone to use anymore. And that's why you go first. You go first because what do they say? You know, the, the, the pioneers are the ones who end up getting killed before the settlers move in. The, being the prime mover, the first mover is not the right decision if she's actually trying to be viable for president or vice president. Okay, we should, though, very quickly explain why you don't think there's a lane for her. Why is there zero lane for Nikki Haley? Well, now we're getting into the message. What, what she's doing by leaning into the message here is saying, I'm not white. And I'm, but I'm not black, and I'm a woman. She's, she's playing the identity politics that the base of her party, of the Republican Party, it just absolutely abhors. So, so that is not going to be resonant except for a small handful of people who will be thinking tactically and saying, oh, she can win because she's not an old white guy. That is a really, really narrow insidery lane in the Republican Party. They don't care. The base voter doesn't see viability that way. And this gets to back to my previous conversation of whether they're looking for the most viable candidate or the most ideologically pure candidate. Nikki Haley is neither of those, and she's trying to be both. Okay. So one of the, this reminds me of something Sarah Longwell said, uh, which I, which I thought was right. And I think is echoing what you're, what you're saying, Mike, which is basically the base doesn't care, uh, that you're a woman, that you're not white. They don't care what race you are. What they care about is that you can own the libs. And yes, that is, uh, I think a really good point. Um, which she's not really doing. <laughs> she's not, she's no, not but, really but, doing. But, but let's, but no, that's exactly right. But, and here's where, and this gets to, to Frank's point earlier and to yours either on the tactical considerations. And again, let's, let's think tactically. By jumping out first, she has the ability to expand her network. Okay? More Twitter followers, more Instagram followers, a bigger Facebook following for a very short period of time. That is the currency of modern politics. To your point, that's how you, that is what you actually bring. It's not being a woman. It's not being a non-white guy in the Republican Party. It's how many Facebook followers, how many Twitter followers do I have how many that I can I then lend to your voice to help advocate for you or for the party's cause. So that, that can turn into small donors. That can turn into mobilizing voters. It can turn into the larger echo chamber. It can turn into large, more retweets. That is literally the currency of politics at the current time. And for the moment, at least, the timing, the timing, if you assume she's not running to be a viable candidate, but to build a bigger network and have more cachet, that's the one silver lining I can see for what this was and what this was about. But she's she is literally bringing nothing new to this field. In fact, I was wrong. I really believed in my heart of hearts she was not going to run. 
and I was saying this and I had a good friend of mine saying that's you're wrong. She's, she's going to run. She's made that decision. To me, the decision to run is a relic of the past. She, her campaign team doesn't even understand the current political environment and where the currency is to get to the objective they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I, surprisingly, there are other candidates I think would fall into that bucket. I would put Larry Hogan in the same bucket. Uh, I would say of, most. Yeah, most of them don't which is Which is actually surprising given I mean, we're, we're quite a distance away from when those rules of the road used to used to control. We're not, we haven't been there for quite a long time. And if you're, if you still think that you can. I think it says something about the culture of political consultants who just do what they've always done because it's all they that, know. That's actually a good point. That That's, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, oh, I had one other thought about, oh yeah, basically, the, I, I think your point is a good one. I want to know what you think about this, but um, entering the, entering, entering the race this early when it's just Donald Trump announced, we know there are other people in, you know, air quotes in the field, but, but you get the benefit of, of filling a vacuum of media coverage about quote unquote Republican presidential candidates. Cause you the only other one, right? So now you, you have the benefit of not just being first, but also being first in a media landscape where they have no other candidates to talk about formally. So, yeah. And I think that's to Mike's point, yeah. right? you get to grab a news cycle. It's about that, eyeballs. That's right. That if you do this in June or if you do this in May when Tim Scott's gotten in the race and, you know, four other people have gotten in the race, then you might get, you might get an evening. Yeah. But, you know, to be fair, Nikki's gotten a nice run here. She has, yeah. And we should play a clip. Uh, so, um, you know, one of the criticisms we've had so far, she hasn't laid out an explanation of why she should be the nominee instead of somebody else uh, with a particular focus on Donald Trump, the Wall Street Journal uh, board wrote an editorial about it last week. And the last week, and Haley was on Fox News Sunday, and Shannon Bream asked her about, you know, what makes her different from Trump. So we've got a clip of that. You've been asked numerous times, including by my colleague, Sean Hannity, how you're different than President Trump on policy, on issues. Clearly, you think you're a better option than he is, or you wouldn't have gotten into the race. So where do you two differ? I don't focus on President Trump, and it's amazing that the media wants to talk about that so but much. But you will have to, to get to the GOP primary, to, you will have to focus on him and Governor DeSantis or anybody else who gets in. To get to President Trump, you will Shannon, have to get through that field. My announcement was to a few thousand people in South Carolina. I just had packed rooms in New Hampshire. Not one person asked me about President Trump. Everybody wanted to talk about Biden. Everybody wanted to talk about the problems facing American families. I am focused on Joe Biden. He's the one that's the president. You know, I will tell you, I think Americans need to have options. I think they need a new generation. I think we need new energy going in. I think we need to leave the status quo of the past and start looking ahead. And that's what I'm going to do. And as much as people want to talk about other opponents, there will be more. Many of them are my friends. My focus is on American families, how they're struggling, and what we're going to do to make sure that we get this country back. So her comms handler literally gave her the talking points uh, to walk into all these all these interviews with and was like, don't talk about Trump. Like this has nothing to do with Trump, right? To downplay, down, downplay. Like, but it's empty. Everything in that was just empty. Yeah, so, so from a tactical yeah. level, right? Why do you not want to talk about Trump from a yeah. tactical level? Yeah, there so there's no, this is, I'm not, again, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, yeah, right? Sure. There's a thought that goes, you you don't want his ire, right? You just don't want to get attacked by him, that that is just not worth it at all. And, you know, if you believe, as the polling suggests, that there's 30% of the Republican primary base that are just like Trump all the time, no matter what, you know, pissing off 30% in one fell swoop just doesn't make a lot of sense tactically. That That's part of it. I think even a broader, if you were going to step back a little more, you know, the other thing that we, we, I think often forget about in these cycles is that there's a presidential campaign every four years. And so, you know, if we look back at history, running multiple times is not somehow the end all be all. Right. And so if you're Nikki, you, you could have, and again, I'm not on the inside, but uh, one strategy could be is like, yeah, go spend some time in Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina. Right. See how this goes. Don't piss anyone off, right? Like, do well. Mm, don't in the, piss anyone off, right? That's... Don't piss anyone off. Do well on the debate stage. And to Mike's point, yeah, like if if some Republican does win, go get a cabinet position. And then in eight years, if the pendulum somehow swings, yeah. and we get back to some national security, small government, 
Republican Party, then <laughs> Nikki steps up and says, yeah, I've been advocating for that my whole life. And I already have some. And then she's got some assets in Iowa and New Hampshire that I can tell you from experience, it, it helps. It would be helpful to have those things when you show up. Mm, yeah. Right. Not having to yeah. build them in real time. Yeah, and so ahead. that could be the strategy. And that's history would show that's a fairly effective strategy. It doesn't always work, but it's a thoughtful strategy. Mike. So, so let me, let me, I think that's exactly right, ex except for the last part. I, I think it's very rarely a successful strategy. Um, what I will say is this if it ever was, now is not that time. And, and this, this interview gives a perfect rationale as to why she should not be jumping in. If the goal is to maintain her relevance as a credible, substantive person in the Republican establishment, she has just began to bleed the, what little she has left out. There is no rationale for this candidacy. You cannot just go out and and go get you know deep fried you know whatever at the Iowa State Fair and be nice to everybody and maintain your reputation as having substance. That's what I think the rationale was. I agree with Frank on that. I think that, I think that's what they're thinking. But like I said, that is now an outmoded concept. That is not the way you do that. What she's going to do is is keep leaving people with the impression of the of the interview she just gave, which is, what the hell is this? Like you don't have an answer. It's clearly you don't have an answer. You're not going to draw contrast. You can't answer the most basic question, and you won't. Her now saving grace is going to be somebody else getting into the race to save her from herself, which is a very weird spot for somebody who didn't have much to sell in the first place to, to be in when you're trying to resurrect your credibility. She should have gone off to you know work at a think tank part time for the next year and a half and then be picked as somebody who's credible the next and the next go around with the next Repu Republican nomination. She's introducing herself to the um, to, to the American people for kind of the first time here in a big way, right? As a, a lot, she's on she's on a lot of people's radars for the first time now in a way that she wasn't before, uh, and people don't realize that she used to be considered a fairly serious person in the Republican sort of infrastructure. And this is not a serious person. This doesn't come across as a serious. So person. can I just ask yeah. a question? Like, are we sure that being a serious candidate is like, is that what the party's looking like? I don't know. This is the prediction game that I didn't really yeah. want to have. Like, oh, yeah. I don't, if in 2014 or even in 2015, right? Like I would have said that Donald Trump can't be the nominee for a variety of reasons. I would have been wrong, but I would have made a lot of these claims that like, he's just not serious. He doesn't understand national security. Everybody and, made those. The, right. And, and we yeah. all made, and then what it turned out is like, none of that mattered. Right. Like, all the things we thought that mattered didn't. And my only point is, is I'm not arguing that Mike may be right today, but who knows? Who knows in four years what this well, is going to look me, like? Or, she's or, also, let, me, let me say this: If it's not Frank, let's say it's not, then it's an even worse decision because she's not willing to entertain or be performative. Let's hmm. say, let's say substance is completely gone, and I think that what you're making a very good point for that. But if that if that is true, if that is the case then what she's doing is even worse. There's still no rationale because she's not leaning into the performative nature of, of, of having anything. Look, I, I have said lips. for a long... No, right. what, what was that interview? Like, what, what, like what, there's, there's really no rationale. At least go Marjorie Taylor Greene on somebody <laughs> and try, try to be somebody. Yeah, but right? that would be the strategy to win now, wouldn't it? Yeah, when the yeah, strategy yeah. to win now uh, precisely, is to, right. Precisely. And that's my point is there's no rationale for the Nikki Haley campaign and there's nothing tactically being done to elevate any, any, any rationale, whatever it is. I may be wrong about the substance. That's okay. But, but then that would argue for performative and, and she's not doing that either. So let me put the question this way to both of you, actually. If we are, <laughs> okay, I'm going to try and do this without laughing. If we are sitting around the table and it's us three and Nikki Haley sitting here, right? She's like, I want to run for president. Okay. She's going to pay us all a lot of money. And for some reason, we're going to take it. <laughs> this, is, this is fantasy land, right? Okay. What do you tell her to do then? Right? What do you tell her to Assuming do? Assuming she wants to win? Assuming she wants to win. Yes. She needs to go hit Donald Trump in the face. Exactly. Yes, yeah. I think that's right. I think you have to be, she's got to perform. Yeah, it, yeah she has perform. to go hit Donald Trump in the face, which yeah. tells me why she's, she's not in this to win. 
She's trying. She's running a 1980s strategy to, I, I guess, kind of be vice president or to be appointed to the UN again or or ambassador to wherever. That's what this is, and it's really, really bad. It's really outdated, and and she's not doing anything to move that ball down the field. So, what do you tell her to do, Frank? It's a great question. I mean, it, it would be hard for me to give the advice Mike is giving, not because Mike's wrong. But like, I don't think that's in, so I think authenticity matters, right? I think, I, I think that's really important. I don't think Nikki's got that in her, right? So like, yeah. even the end of the speech, the kick with my heel, like, yeah, it just it hurts be, when you kick them in heels. Yeah, or like, like I, I'm not so sure she can deliver that message that way. So like, I don't know if I could give her that advice because I don't think that would work either because it would be so disingenuous. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I would have a lot of <laughs> I don't think I'd have a lot of good advice. I mean, I think there is some culture stuff that I think she could step on that she's not. So she could put her foot on some of that stuff that I that she's not doing. Which um, she kind of tried to she could. with the heels. Now, comment, the other thing that's right? true, and I can tell you this goes back to my point about these are not Fortune 500 companies. Like, th- this, her strategy, her tactics can change, right? They could have a, they could look back and, or, in a week or in 10 days or in six weeks and say, Hey, we, you know, yeah, we tried to go this way and that's not it. And we're going to alter how we're going to do that. And that's still possible, right? This thing is very early. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with Mike that I don't think this had been the winning strategy to do it. But again, I don't think we know exactly what her end game is and we can take it at face value that she wants to be president of the United States. I buy that. Um, whether that's in, you know, in the next two years or the next six. So I think that the interesting thing to watch here will be, does she pivot in some way? Does some different tactic uh, yeah. emerge? I mean, we watch that, candidates do that in 15 yeah. and 16 right. the whole time, the right? Whole like, time, totally. oh my gosh, one yeah. day we, they were doing X and the next day they were doing Y. So it's like, it's not as if what she said at the announcement is somehow etched in stone as the message between now and Iowa. So I want to I want to pivot to something else. So we've got a whole bunch of other sort of you know candidates and figures that we're going to talk to talk about. Not right now. Not probably not today. But I do want to talk about this one uh, episode with Don Lemon on CNN uh, because after Haley's call for for competency tests, right, uh, which she was sort of going after the age thing. Um, CNN host Don Lemon brought it up uh, on the air, and here's what he said. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley is in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What do you that's talk? Not acor- Wait. I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? I, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll say, if you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say 20s, 30s and 40s. I don't necessarily. 40s. Oh, I got it. I'm not saying I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that, you know, politicians aren't in their prime. you need to qualify. Are you talking about prime for, like, child-bearing? Or are you talking about prime for being president? What the facts are, Google it, everybody at home. When is a woman in her prime? It says 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I'm just saying Nikki Haley should be careful about saying that politicians are not in their prime. And they need to be in their prime when they serve. Because she wouldn't be in her prime, according to... Google? Okay, so we're See, not, I, I we're, wonder, we're, like, we're, is Don Lemon working for the Nikki Haley campaign? <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going right. to get to that in a second. We're definitely going to go. Because, like, let me just be very clear for our listeners, we are not here to judge how sexist Don Lemon's comments oh, we can't. are. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, we can judge we this. We can definitely this. judge this. So, like, but but we do want to think about how, how Haley's team responded to this, which, by the way, that was just like, ugh. Because immediately they sent out a fundraising text, which is exactly what I would have... T- Frank, uh, if this had happened in 2015, I would have immediately said, here's the text. It has to go now. We're going to raise a bunch of money on this. Boom. And then it goes out. That's exactly what they did. And here's the quote from the fundraising text the Haley campaign said. The liberal media is completely out of touch and sexist. They hate conservative women the most. We need you to help push back. And then they made a fundraising appeal on WinRed, by the way, which we'll talk about platforms. But uh, yeah. Like, did, did you think Don Lemon got like 10% of every dollar raised or something? Like- <laughs> so, so first of all, uh, at least one cylinder of this campaign is firing and firing uh, well, which is 
they recognized the opportunity to make money here, to put money in the in the in the tank, and they and they executed it uh, flawlessly. I think this was a great opportunity for them, and they seized it. I think it's interesting though. This uh, they hate conservative women the most. That says something, I think, about the way they see her in this race. So I wonder what you think about. Yeah, I mean, I, listen. If you can pick a fight, pick a fight. Like that's what the yeah. base wants. To Mike's point earlier, like they want you to fight. Yeah. And so, like, this is a great opportunity. Now, how much leverage can you get out of this? Yeah. I mean, we'll this see. Is a, yeah. But it's a great start. Like, if you were gonna after the announcement video and event, and I'll direct this to Mike. Like after that, could you have asked for a better uh, earned media thing than this? Like, I can't. I was trying to think. Like, what could I have asked for better? And a CNN their commentator. show. This is this yeah. is CNN's answer to Morning Joe. So yeah. like this like is I the, just, this is their big morning show. I guess if yeah. I guess if maybe if someone on MSNBC said it instead of CNBC, CNN, maybe that'd be marginally better. But this is about as good as you can ask yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. The, the only thing better the only thing better would be if Joe Biden in Kiev right. had gone after an attack. <laughs> right. I mean yeah. that that's it. And, but 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 again, that, what you're saying is so profoundly important here. It's not what Nikki Haley stands for. It's who is against her. And it's why when you asked Ron, what does Haley need to do? She needs to draw contrast. She needs a fight more than anything else. And if you're going to go in mealy mouth and and come in with a tone of like, I'm running for vice president and I'm going to be nice to everybody, you're you're hurting yourself. You're, You're bleeding whatever little political capital you have by getting into the race in the first place. They want, when Sarah Longwell says they want to own the libs, they want somebody who's just going to fight. You don't yeah. have to win. Yeah. You don't have to win. You don't have to tell the truth. It's actually better if they you, don't win. It's better if you don't win You become a martyr. Yeah. It, it, you just you just have to start swinging at people. And as long as you're doing that, you, you can start, you know, managing the news cycle minute by minute and start building some sort of a following and building that capacity that we're talking about. Uh, that's not Nikki Haley's style, but I think a great response by her team, that's exactly what you do is get out there, start building that network, start saying, see, they're against us. It's not just about, about me. They weren't attacking Nikki Haley. They're attacking conservative women. If you're conservative women fight back against Don Lemon and CNN and the fake media, they're going to try and tear us all down. That's Pick exactly a boogeyman and need. knock yeah. them down. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what you're looking for. And so, yeah, it couldn't have gotten gone better. But notice it had nothing to do with the Nikki Haley campaign because there's no rationale for the campaign. Her biggest problem is that she's not picking any fights. She just stumbled into this one. Politicology, I'm going to re-up that favor I mentioned from the beginning. We threw together a quick two-question survey. Uh, about this episode. It's linked in today's show notes. Um, and we would really appreciate your feedback. Just smash that link. And then uh, t- it'll take 10 seconds. Go answer these two questions and um, it will help us make a decision about what to do next. So, uh, and as always, you can email us uh, podcast at politicology.com. And uh, we read everything that comes in, um, even if we can't get back to you. Uh, and whether it's an episode idea, guest recommendation, Or just a note, we love hearing from you. And that's it for today. We'll see you in the next episode.